Let's pray and ask God to help us understand his word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for giving us your word. We pray that as we look at scripture now, that you will help us to understand what Paul is saying to Timothy and you help us to understand how to apply it to ourselves. We thank you for the great news of the Lord Jesus and we pray that we might be people who live in accordance with it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine this. You're talking to someone and they say something to you about God or Jesus or the Christian faith, something that you know is wrong. So they say, for example, oh, Jesus can't be both God and man. Impossible. Or they say, you know, the Bible's just a human book. It's been changed heaps over the centuries. Or they say, Christianity is just like all the other religions. It's really just about being a good person. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Someone says something to you and it's just totally wrong. And you know that it's totally wrong. How does it make you feel? What, uh, what emotions does it create in you? And how do you react? What, what do you do when someone says something like that to you? When it happens to me, most of the time, my heart just sinks. I get this sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. If it happens with my non-Christian family or if it happens at a nice dinner party or something like that, someone comes out with this clunker and I think, oh no, here we go. If I say nothing, I'm going to feel guilty about it. If I say something, they're going to think I'm a religious nutter. I just want the ground to swallow me up. I don't want to be there anymore. And usually what happens is I get so paralysed with conflicting emotions that, that the moment's gone and I said nothing. Too late. Do you ever have that experience? You want to run a mile from an argument about Christianity. Maybe you feel inadequate to answer. Maybe you don't want to look like a fanatic. You think like you look silly or you might do it wrong or whatever, so you keep silent. Although for me, it's not always like that. There are some occasions, like maybe I'm in a Bible study or I'm with some Christians that I want to impress. Uh, this sort of thing happened to me a lot at Bible college. Um, someone says something wrong and I think, fantastic. Here's my chance. Here's my chance to show off my knowledge. I can whip out my Greek or something like that. Here's my chance to show how smart I am. And so I dive in, boots and all. Have you ever had that experience? You love to get into religious arguments that the more obscure and nitpickier the better. It's a, a great chance for you to show your skills. As I've thought about it, behind both of my reactions lies the same thing. Me. It's all about me. If arguing is going to make me look bad, I don't want to do it. If arguing is going to make me uncomfortable, I want to avoid it. But, but if the argument is going to make me look good or smart or intelligent, I'll embrace it. I'll revel in it. It's all about me. Well, how should we react? when someone says wrong things about Christianity. How does God want us to react? What's, what's the strategy God wants us to use? All right, well, do you remember what we've covered so far in Paul's second letter to Timothy? Paul's been encouraging Timothy, do you remember, to, to take up the baton of the gospel, to, to, to hold on to the original good news about Jesus, to, to have it as it is, unchanged, undistorted, to take up that baton, and then he's in, been encouraging Timothy to pass it on to pass, it, to pass the gospel on to other people, who, uh, particularly to people who in turn will pass it on to others again. And, and Paul's told Timothy why it's so important. Do you remember the context? We, all of Asia has deserted. 
the, all of those churches in Turkey they seem to be chucking it in. Paul himself is, is in jail. Nero is persecuting the Christians. Paul's in jail. He's about, to, he's about to get murdered. Things are looking tough, but Paul says God's word is not chained. God has his people. He's saving his people. It's crucial that Timothy listen to Paul, that he hold on to the original gospel and that he passes it on. And now in this next section, Paul talks to Timothy a little bit more about what it'll mean to, to hold on to the gospel, to pass it on, particularly in the light of false teachers, people who are saying wrong things about Christianity. So Paul, in this little section, he tells Timothy what to do. He gives him a strategy to deal with false teaching. Now Paul starts off by talking to Timothy about what he should say to people, what he should say to his hearers. And he says, he says Timothy, I want you to remind them of these things. These things, in context, I think must be Paul's true gospel. That's what uh, Paul's just been talking about. It's what he's reminded Timothy of. Do you remember back in verse 8, he said, Tim he said to Timothy, Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Uh, verse 10, he talks about how God saves the elect with a salvation with eternal glory. I think that's a beautiful little saying. He saves the elect with a salvation with eternal glory. Uh, he gives life to those who endure, verse 11. But he disowns those who disown him. So Timothy needs to remind his hearers of these things, of the true message about Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. Have a look with me. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. I keep reminding them of these things. Okay, Timothy's got to remind people of the true gospel. But also, Paul also says you've got to warn them as well. He says you've got to warn them about arguing and quarrelling. And as we'll see, as the passage goes on, we'll see Paul is talking about arguing with false teachers, quarrelling with false teachers. He says, Timothy, I want you to teach people the truth and I want you to warn them, don't get into arguments with false teachers. Continuing chapter 2, verse 14, keep reminding them of these things. Verse 14, warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Okay, so Paul has been telling Timothy what to say to people. But now he talks to Timothy himself about how he should deal with false teaching. He says to Timothy, I want you to be like a good craftsman. I want you to be like a craftsman who handles God's word correctly. I want you to teach the truth rightly. And Paul says, what I don't want you to do is hang around with the false teachers and join with them in their godless chatter. That's just going to infect you like a disease. All right, so here's the strategy. Here's the strategy. You don't argue and quarrel. You just make sure that you teach the truth clearly and accurately. Verse 15. 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Paul gives a couple of examples of gangrenous false teachers. There's these guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Um, Paul's already tried to deal with Hymenaeus. Back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, he says that he handed him over to Satan, but he's still back uh, in town. He's hanging around. He's still causing trouble here in Philetus. It says, Paul says that they're teaching that the resurrection has already happened. What do you reckon that means? The resurrection has already happened. Can't be talking about Jesus' resurrection, can it? Because that has already happened. So it's got to be talking about the resurrection of Christians. In other words, he's saying Christians are already resurrected. It's like we're in heaven already. There's no future resurrection to look forward to. That's what they're on about. Well, Paul says they're wrong. He says they're dangerous. Second sentence, verse 17. 
Uh, so the tension experts like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Okay, so blokes like this are around, which means Timothy needs to do what Paul said. He needs to follow the strategy. Don't spend all your time quarrelling with them. Just be a good workman. Faithfully present the true gospel. Correctly handle the word of truth. There's the strategy and now Paul gives the reason. Here's, here's the reason why this is the correct strategy. Timothy needs to remember this. God knows who his people are. God has his elect. God will save those whom God will save. God's people will and they must turn away from wicked teaching like that of Hymenaeus and Philetus. God will save his people. That's the rock. Verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Do you see the reason for Paul's strategy? It's a, you might, you might say it's a demarcation issue. Uh, do you know what a demarcation issue is or a demarcation dispute? It's uh, something that happens between two unions. Okay, it's where two unions are arguing about who can do a job. So, for example, uh, say, say, say there's a job to do. So, pick a job. Uh, making orders of service. Uh, basically, two jobs involved in making orders of service. There is putting them in the photocopier and there is folding them. Okay, so imagine you've got uh, the photocopiers all right, of the world who do the photocopies and they've got the photocopiers union. All right, and then you've got the folders of the world. They do the folding and you've got the folding union. All right? The problem arises when a photocopier decides that he's going to fold. All right? One day... A service photocopier folds an order of service and the folders union is up in arms. All right? The photocopiers are encroaching on their territory. It's threatening the jobs of all the folders. All, right? all these families are... And so there's this demarcation dispute. All right? Photocopying is your job. Folding is our job. Get it right. Know who has got which job. There's this demarcation dispute to sort out exactly who should do the job. I've got to say, I find this when I go to Coles in Chatswood seems perfectly clear to me that it is the checkout person's job to scan my shopping. All right? That is their job. That is their livelihood. Uh, now, Coles tell me that I've got to do it myself. I have to serve myself. I refuse to do it. Uh, the person will say, come here and serve yourself. And I say, no, for your sake, so you can have a job, you will scan my shopping. Your job is to scan the items. My job is to stand there and smile at you. All right? Timothy needs to get the demarcation issue clear. It's not Timothy's job to convert people. That is God's job. God knows his people. God saves his people. Timothy's job, be a good craftsman, teach the truth. Don't argue, just teach the truth. Do you get the demarcation issue? Now, Timothy might prefer to stay silent. Or he might prefer to get in and argue. But the thing is, it's not about Timothy. It's about God. It's his gospel, his glory. What Timothy needs to do is let God do his job, save his people, and Timothy needs to get stuck in and do his own job, faithfully teach the truth. Now, Paul now goes on to use an illustration. It's an illustration about religious teachers. 
and it's uh, meant to encourage Timothy to be a faithful, truthful religious teacher. So what Paul does, he, he pictures religious teachers as household articles. Okay, so the picture is God is the owner of a house and he's got household articles, things in his house. Some of them are precious and, and useful. The owner will use them for noble purposes, all right, like a nice tortoiseshell hairbrush all right, that he uses for, for brushing his hair. Okay? It's this precious uh, article that he uses for a noble purpose. All right, but some of them are cheap things and they're used for ignoble purposes, like, say, a plastic toilet brush okay, that the owner uses to clean... Well, you know what he uses to clean the toilet with. Okay, verse 20. Here's the picture. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. All right, the point is, they're like teachers, true teachers, gold and silver, noble purposes, false teacher, uh, wood and clay, ignoble purposes. And just notice from this illustration that God uses both true and false teachers. He uses both. He uses true teachers for the noble purpose for, uh, of bringing his people to salvation. But he also uses false teachers for ignoble purposes. What do you think that might mean? What is the purpose for which God uses false teachers? Well, it doesn't say it here, but my guess is this, and I think this is borne out by church history. God uses false teachers to test his people. He uses false teachers to help his people get stuff, get the truth clear. So they have to think through all the more carefully what they believe. Mark Driscoll puts it like this. He says, Persistent dirt challenges you to get better at cleaning. When you are attacked by a heretic... You read your Bible like never before. When the heretic is not there, you may be tempted to be lazy with the scriptures and apathetic about doctrine. God's going to use both true and false teachers. But Paul says to Timothy, don't, don't be a false teacher. Don't be, a, don't be an ignoble vessel. He says, cleanse yourself from that. Be, be a noble vessel. Be a true teacher. Be a, be a hairbrush, not a toilet brush. All right, verse 21. If a man cleanses himself from the latter... He'll be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. It's an interesting analogy. And what it means is this. It means, it means there's no neutral ground. We will either believe and teach true things about God, or we'll believe and teach false things about God. You're a theologian, whether you like it or not. You're just either a true one or a false one. And either way, God will use us But let's do what Paul says, don't you reckon? Let, let's, let's teach the truth. Let's, let's be hairbrushes, not toilet brushes. Let's be used for the noble purpose of encouraging God's people in Christ with true teaching. Well, Paul comes back to his strategy now. How should Timothy deal with false teachers? He says, I, I, I want you to flee the evil desires of youth. What do you think they are, the evil desires of youth? When context could be, could be Timothy's pride... You know, he's, he, he, he would love to get in and show up these false teachers, so he wants to get in and argue with them and, and, and show off or something. Or maybe it's uh, as a young person, he loves novelty. He likes, oh, this is so interesting and new, this false teaching. Oh, I'm really interested in it. Or maybe, uh, maybe there's some kind, of, um, some kind of immorality tied up with the false teaching and Timothy's tempted to get in and, and get involved with that. Paul says, no. He says, run away from all that. He says, stick with faithful Christians, pure Christians who call on God and with them, believe and live out the truth about Jesus. Verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace 
along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And now again, Paul says to Timothy, don't get caught up in fights. Instead, just be kind, be gracious, gently teach the truth to anyone who listens, including those who oppose you. Verse 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. See the strategy there again. And now in this very last section, again, Paul gives the reason for the strategy. And again, it's this demarcation issue. People who don't know Jesus, they're in Satan's clutches. Timothy can't save them. Only God can save them. Verse 25 again. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Okay. Can you see Paul's strategy that he sets out here and the reason for it? We need to realise what God's job is. He's the one who saves people. And then in the light of that, we've got to realise what our job is. We're not going to argue anyone into God's kingdom. What God wants us to do is just tell the truth about Jesus with kindness and with grace. All right, well, let's come back to where we started from. How do you react when someone says something wrong about Christianity? What do you do? <clears throat> Most of the time we stay silent, don't we? Most of the time we, uh, we keep our mouths closed. We're worried that we don't want to stand out as a Christian or maybe we feel inadequate to argue our case and so we say nothing. But can you see Paul's strategy? It really challenges that, doesn't it? I mean, I guess it's possible in some circumstances that we're doing the right thing to stay silent. And we don't have to correct anyone who ever says anything wrong about God. You just never do anything but argue if you do that, would you? In some circumstances, we might be doing the right thing by just staying silent, let it go through to the keeper. But I don't think that covers every situation. Do you? I, I don't think that's every situation where we stay silent. I think in many situations we stay silent because, well, because we're cowards. Don't you? I'm right, aren't I? So what if you're being a coward? Well, first, I reckon it'll really help if we can get the demarcation issue clear. It's not about me. Someone says something wrong or attacking about Christianity, it's not about me. And it's not about how adequate I am. Of course I'm inadequate. Of course I can't talk anyone into being a Christian. The thing is, that's not my job. That's God's job. I don't know about you, I reckon that's liberating. The Lord knows those who are his. God will save his people. Not up to me. But the amazing thing is, he might be using me. Here in this circumstance, I or you could be God's noble instrument. God could, be, God could use your telling the truth about Jesus to grant this person repentance. This could be your opportunity to partner with the God of the universe in building his temple. You could have the rest of eternity with a person who, humanly speaking, is there in heaven because of you. You can have the rest of eternity with another person whom God used you to bring there to heaven. That, what a shame to be a coward about it. What a missed opportunity. 
Now, God will save his people. But you'll have missed out. God will use someone who isn't a coward to be his noble instrument. Uh, plenty of times when I've kept silent when I should have spoken, haven't you? But friends, God is calling us to be workmen who don't need to be ashamed, who correctly handle the word of truth. God is calling us to kindly and gently tell the truth about Jesus. It's time to speak up. I reckon that's most of us most of the time, isn't it? But what about the other times? What about the times when we, when we can't wait to speak up, when we love to dive into an argument, when everyone in Bible study is going to listen to my point of view for the next 20 minutes, the times when, when we're keen to show our skills? What does Paul's strategy say to us then? He says, flee from pride. Flee from showing off. If we speak... It should be in a way that is pleasing to God and beneficial to the other person. Maybe it is better to zip the, zip, zip the lip, keep silent, let someone else answer the question. I know you know the answer. Let someone else have a go. But if you do speak, it must be with kindness, must be with gentleness, must be other person-centred, wanting to please God. Okay, can you see the strategy now? You don't wimp out. You don't argue. Just gently set forth the truth. It's very encouraged uh, during the week to hear uh, from this guy John Lennox who was speaking at the Oxygen Conference and he often uh, goes in debates with people like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and these sorts of characters and I saw him interviewed uh, during the week in the newspaper and the guy said have you ever had anybody converted have you ever converted Richard Dawkins or anything like that and he said look that's that's not what I'm there for he said, I'm not there to argue anybody into God's kingdom he said that's God's job he said I'm just there to present a rational a rational credible alternative. I just want to present the Christian faith so that it's out there and people can see it. That's what this is saying, isn't it? Same deal. Same deal. Now, I could give you lots of examples where I've messed this up, uh, where I've dived headfirst into arguments and had to apologise later on, really, it's just because of my pride. I could give you lots of arguments, lots of times when I've kept silent. I have messed this up plenty of times. But for a change, let me tell you about a time I got this right. Uh, it happened back when I was in Bible college. Uh, Somewhere just soon after Noah got off the ark. I think it was quite a long time ago. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses used to come and knock on our door. And the first couple of times they came, I, I said, no, thank you, not interested, shut the door. But after a while I thought, I really should have a go at talking to these people. I remember the first time this man and his wife came in and it was like Bible ping pong. All right? We were trading verses, talking over the top of each other. They were loving it. I was loving it. There was plenty of heat, not very much light. And we both came away more convinced of our own positions. I thought, right, okay, I've heard that argument. I've just got to prepare better for next time. Next time came, another bloke and a girl. And again, we went for it. Bible verses flying left, right and centre. I think my arguments were improving. But again, we both came away convinced of our own positions, more convinced of our own positions. Got talking to a mate of mine at Bible college about it. I think it was actually Martin. And Martin said, as he sometimes did to me, he said, Jeff, you're an idiot. <laughs> he, said, uh, he said, what are you trying to prove? He said, these people, they don't know Jesus. They don't know what it is to be saved. Why are you arguing about all this different stuff? Who are you trying to impress? Just tell them the good news about Jesus. I guess it was like a lightning bolt. I thought, far out. Who, who is this about? Is this about me winning an argument? Is this about me honing my skills? Or is it about them trusting Jesus and being saved? The next time Jehovah's Witnesses came, I invited them in. This time it was two ladies. 
gave him a cup of tea, and I said, look, I said, look, I, I know you're here with a message for me, but, but will you let me do something? I said, will you, will you let me explain to you what I believe, and then you can tell me where you think I'm wrong or, or right? They said, yeah, right, yeah. So I went through two ways to live with them. You know, you know two ways to live, the, the sort of gospel presentation that, uh, that's around in Sydney. Um, a simple explanation of the message about Jesus. So I talked them through it, drew the pictures, wrote the Bible verses, looked them up with them, all that kind of stuff. Took them through two ways to live. I asked them the questions at the end. I asked them, um, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? They said, no, we don't. How can we know? We, have, we don't know if we've done enough good things. And so I worked them through it again, told them how they can have assurance. Jesus has died for your sins. He's, you're forgiven. He's taken all your sin away. You can stand right with God just purely because of God's grace in Jesus. They raised a few points that I tried to answer. And then they said, thank you so much for your teaching, and left. Um, sadly, Kamalina tells me that a couple of weeks later, while I was out, a couple of men um, from the Jehovah's Witnesses came around. They said that I'd disturbed their ladies, and our house was black banned from few further visits. So it wasn't, wasn't kind of successful, it didn't turn out as I had hoped. And I'm not trying to put myself across as the hero, but I think I did finally get it right. Do you see, I didn't try to argue, I just tried to gently and courteously set forth the truth. That's what Paul's saying to do, isn't it? Get the demarcation clear. God is the one who saves and then do our job. Don't argue, don't fight. Just bravely, gently tell the truth. All right, let's ask God to help us do that. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank and praise you for the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have your people. You will save your elect. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we might know this, that we might... Uh, gain great confidence and liberty from the knowledge that you can, do, will and do save your people. We pray, Heavenly Father, that this would set us free to not be paralysed or proud, but instead to be gentle, humble, brave, bold truth-tellers. Help us to be workmen who do not need to be ashamed, but who rightly, correctly teach the word of truth. We pray that you might empower us in this by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.